Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow, together with other mothers, when autumn comes. Today is a very special episode because I love the guest we have. I know, I know, I know, I say this every time. But no, I really do love this one. Like, she brought me Mexican food, and last week she sent me flowers and sushi. I, you know, you can win me over with food, apparently, is the answer here. Today you're going to meet Catherine. She is the speech therapist that made such an impact on Lorelai's life and continues to work with Benji to hopefully find something Benji likes. None of us have been able to do that yet, but maybe Catherine will. Today we talk about the power of the pause and communication is beyond just being verbal. And we talk about a whole lot of things, even IEPs and evaluations. But the end of this conversation surprised me even listening to it again, because we wrapped up talking about how typical children and disabled children can be friends and how communication is part of that and how as parents, we need to communicate to our children. It's a really good episode, guys. I will add a little side note here or a little footnote, not really sure what it should be called, but for my friends and family who are listening, this episode was recorded before Lorelai passed away and we talk a lot about Lorelai. It brought so much joy to my heart editing this episode because there were things that we talked about that I had completely forgotten. So just to warn you guys, because I know I know a lot of us really, really miss Doodle these days, we do talk about her in this episode. So welcome, Catherine, and let's do this. Welcome, Catherine, welcome to When Autumn Comes. I have, in full disclosure, have to tell everybody that you are my um, kid's therapist. You are both children. You do their speech. You are my coworker. <laughs> we work together. And you have somehow become a friend, like, through all of this. We, <laughs> I forced you to become I forced you <laughs> to become. Of course we have. <laughs> yeah. um, so welcome. Welcome to the show. And thanks for being here to talk to us as a... Um, as a speech therapist. Tell us tell us about yourself. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really honored to be a part of this. I was super nervous but excited. Um, so I'm coming up on 10 years of being a speech therapist. I initially actually wanted to be an English teacher and my friend in my dorm was like, I'm doing speech. And I was like, that sounds cool. And honestly, I feel like that was really God working in my life because I love my job. It is not just a job. You can ask anybody in my family. I eat and breathe this stuff. Um, and I think especially working with, I work mostly with um, birth to three-year-olds, but um, I do have in the clinic, I actually ask if they can give me the little ones. They're kind of my, they're kind of my thing, but I have twins. They are seven years old. They were premature. They were born at 31 weeks. They are also in vitro babies. So I am pretty in some ways thankful for that experience because I think it's allowed me to connect with some of my families because I went through a little bit of difficult times with, with that. So I feel like I'm able to kind of relate to some, to some people Mm -hmm. going through some difficult times like that. Um, And we need to add that Waylon, your son (laughs) is Lorelai's biggest fan. He is. He he, loves her. He loves her. She loves him. Like they have this like little, it's so little, special. It's so sweet. Like he gets on early in our speech therapy sessions, he'll get on to talk to Lorelai and like say, hi, Lorelai. And we'll, it is the sweetest thing. 
he cannot hear y'all on a telehealth call without running in here going, can I say hi to Lorelai? It's he, so sweet. He loves her. And he heard uh, your mom today saying something about being stubborn. And he goes, Lorelai, are you being stubborn today? <laughs> <laughs> He's the sweetest. I love him. He's the sweetest. It's been, telehealth has been kind of cool in that and allowing my kids to kind of see what I do. And uh, I think that there are going to be some pretty compassionate loving kiddos and are grown ups when they grown up. At least that's what I hope. Um, so yeah, so that's me. I'm one of seven. I'm the middle child of seven. So that's my mom always always told me I was always the one with my friends communicating and helping friends work through things. So I don't know. God was like, you're not meant to be an English teacher. This is what you're supposed to do. So seven, seven's a lot. And that's really going to help our, um, our downloads for this episode. <laughs> Send it out to your whole family, please. <laughs> um, so tell us what, I mean, Diane and I both have children who have speech therapists, but tell us what a speech therapist does. So most people, I think, when they think speech, they think R's and S's and lists and things like that. That's actually, I'm way more a language therapist than I am an Arctic therapist. Uh, but that's definitely, we definitely work on those things. Um, but we do a lot. We do so much. I mean, there's feeding involved. There is some oral motor stuff involved, working on language, communication. And communication, as many of us know, doesn't always meet with our words. It means finding any avenue possible and really being in tune with our kids and realizing sometimes a look is communication, sometimes reaching, sometimes pushing away, turning our head. That's communication. Um, So it's really it's cognitive. It's play. uh, Speech language pathologists do a lot. We have a huge uh, umbrella of things that I think we do. I think some of us find certain niches. For me, it's been early intervention for sure. but it's definitely not not the typical thing that people think with articul- just articulation therapy. You work with birth to three mainly. Yes. Speech therapy for babies. What is that right, even? Right. So, oh my gosh, I love what I do so much. It just like makes me smile. So it's a lot of, in early intervention, I think my favorite thing to do is empowering moms and dads and caregivers to help their children, that they have it, that they have the skills that they need to help their babies. And I'm just kind of there. I think one of the first things I say when I come into someone's home is I'm here to help you. So what one thing that works with one family doesn't work with every family. And if you don't like something I'm doing, you just got to tell me and then we'll adjust and we'll do what we have to do um, to figure out what works for your family. Um, but it's, it's teaching them to kind of be in tune with some of those smaller communication things that are early on. It is teaching them that sometimes we have to stop talking and that's really hard. (laughs) I, I will hear Catherine say count to 10 in the back of your head, like let, and now I, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and toot my own horn, but our speech therapist this morning told me that I'm doing really well. And now I talk to my kids and I'm like, oh my God, I sound like Catherine. (laughs) Okay. Can you, just because I've never been, I've never really been advised that just maybe other people that are listening have not either. Can you kind of go back to that and what do you, what do you She's mean? Like, Hold on, let's turn this into a therapy session yeah. real quick. Yeah. What do you mean? What Susan did today? What counting no, no, no. to 10? So like, when you tell me oh, to count to 10, to 10, it's to give my kids time so, to respond, right? That's right. That's right. So we can't, I mean, we cannot make our children talk or use a device or sign. Well, technically we can make them sign, but <laughs> I don't like to do a whole lot of hand over hand with kids, except maybe really early on when we're just trying to show them something. Um, but sometimes we just have to give us, give a moment of silence and give them an opportunity to try. If we are always talking, if we are always anticipating their every, every move. And I think, I think it's really hard, especially when we've had kiddos that have been through some things that have needed us a whole lot to remember that everyone needs a minute. But when we have had these babies or that have, or young children that have needed so much of us, that's what we're that's what we do as moms or caregivers. That's what we do or dads. 
we we jump in and we we know that, that it's time to eat, so we feed them. We know that they're they're staring at that toy, so they want it. So we just do it. But when we do that, while we are being wonderful mothers and fathers and caregivers, we are losing opportunities for them to learn how to tell you in whatever way that that child, wherever they are in that place, to tell you. So, I mean, that's probably, I would say that's top of my list of things that I have to teach uh, to teach families is just to stop and wait and give them a chance. I know you know that she wants that. They're reaching for it. But we know that she's been able to do that for a while. So we want to really help her realize that, hey, there's another, what else can I do besides just reach for it? And, and it's hard because I don't want to discount what she's doing. She's absolutely communicating. She's reaching for it. But that's where we might throw in a choice. We might say, oh, do you want your baby or your blanket? And then you pause and you wait. By doing that, they can't just, if they're a child that can shake their head, or it's not just yes or no. They have to do something else. And just reaching isn't working because it's not close enough. And maybe now our device is right here. So now we can model. And that's what Susan has gotten so good at is modeling with our device. And I think it takes the pressure off of us a little bit. We think that we have, we, they need to do something, but they don't always have to do something. We are teaching them by modeling. That is how they learn, whether it's a sign, it's verbal, it's a device, it's a picture, however that is, we're modeling that and they're learning in, in the time that they need to, but then we're going to stop and we're going to be quiet and we're going to give that power of the pause. And we're going to wait a second. We can't make them do that necessarily, but we can provide the opportunity that they might. Can you tell how passionate she is, Diane? Uh, I like, love this. I feel like yeah. I have guilty, 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 guilty written all over no, my head right guilty. now. You're not guilty. You're not no, guilty. But it, it then rolls into the frustration, right? Like managing Absolutely. the frustration of these Absolutely. children, which we can get to. We're kind of, you know, going probably in various directions, but we'll get to that. We go all over the place. <laughs> so, Let's go back to, though, when I get out of the hospital. Let's say that I'm not a NICU mom. Like, we were assigned early intervention from the, like, the get-go because Lorelai spent three months in the NICU. And they were like, here, this is what you'll do. But how did moms and dads and caregivers, like, at what point does someone who has a six-month-old baby say, does my kid need speech therapy? Like... I feel like in my understanding, which it's hard because I work for a therapy company, so I have mm-hmm. a wide understanding, but as a parent, I feel like I could see PT as something that like, okay, my kid isn't physically doing this stuff, but speech, I feel like it's something that could kind of get pushed off a little longer. So in the beginning, physical, th- you're right, physical therapy probably would be one of the first, if if that was needed, if that was something that we see a child needed help with, we probably would go there first because it's all connected. Your core, your all your muscles leading up to your mouth are all connected. And if you're having a hard time sitting up, you're, you might be having a hard, t- you might eventually show some signs that you're having a hard time communicating effectively. So yes, and if, if there's some physical things, we would probably do physical therapy first. Occupational therapy would come in too if we see some sensory concerns that maybe a child can't is going to have a hard time learning some new things because their sensory needs are kind of filling all that space right there. So once we can kind of get some of those things under control, we can build up some of that core, then someone would probably say, okay, speech is definitely a good next option. Now, if we have a kiddo who does have a diagnosis and we have some ideas of what that might look like, speech might be brought in a little bit sooner so that we can just go ahead and start with these all calm devices or, or whatever, how it, what device or pictures or whatever the sign, whatever that's going to look like. I think when people hear speech therapy, I automatically think speech talking, yeah. but there's so many nonverbal ways that you have taught me of like looking at your kid and helping your kid communicate. And I think that that's something important that we don't innately think, look for communication. We think, look for words. That's right. I, I laugh when I, when I, when people want to know what I do because I know what their initial thought is of what I do. And I'm like, which a lot of people, I mean, some speech therapists absolutely love articulation. And I had, I mean, I have a friend from grad school that was totally her thing. I just tend to lean more towards the language piece of it and figuring out how to help these younger kiddos communicate if they're not able to yet. 
And does that go hand in hand with if you learn to sign or you learn to use a Toby talker in our case, like, does that help with articulation later sometimes? Yeah. So this actually, I feel like this is probably, I don't know if it necessarily helps with articulation, so to speak. When we have so, we know that these babies have I say babies, but they could be toddlers, uh, have a lot more going on in there. They're showing us like, you know, Lorelai did today. She, grandma said something about cuddle and her little face lit up. We knew she knew exactly. Oh what no, it was meant. leg massage. Leg, leg massage. massage. Okay. My mom said, Lorelai, do you want me to massage your legs? And like, she's like, smiling. Like, seriously? Okay, diva. <laughs> yeah, right. So I, I think I have found like a, a real passion in, like, yes, we're working on speech. I am always the ultimate goal for all my babies is that they're going to be able to get their, use their words to, to talk to their families with verbal words. But in the meantime, it's really important to me that we figure out other ways. So when I have somebody, I'm like, okay, this child can follow directions. Like she's, she's doing all sorts of wonderful things, but she's, she can't talk yet. She's just, it's not happening right now. So I'm like, we have to get, we have to get some kind of, some kind of device. We have to get some pictures or something because I don't want to hinder a child's learning because they're not able to verbally tell us and you know what they're thinking or what they want or what they want to do. So we always want to keep expanding on that. So yes, always working on the, on the verbal aspect. We're always going to throw in a Z vibe to try to wake up their mouth. We're going to emphasize those lip sounds or simple sounds or focus on certain words. But in the meantime, we also want to make sure that if we recognize that a child knows and understands something that we're giving them a means to be able to express that to their family. And I think that, I think it can be hard sometimes for some families to like, to want to go to augmentative communication because I mean, that's not, it's not how we wanted our babies to talk. To I just us. think that we don't, I honestly, it was one of the first interviews we did, Diane, when, who was it? Carissa said, there was a shift for me where I realized it wasn't about speaking. It was about communication. Yeah. And I don't think that that here, like, I felt that way at some point in my journey, but I hadn't put those words into my head the way she said it because it is something like I would love for my kid to say, I love you, mom. And I think there's a point in the journey for us that you have to have a shift depending on your situation. And now that we have, like today, Lorelai told my mom after you and I talked about this, I came down from the last interview and my mom goes, Laurel, I told me she had to poop. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And she's like, I took her out of her chair. I put her on the floor and she pooped a full diaper on her own. Like this is the kid who needs a suppository to poop, but she's communicating with her body language now because we've shifted from the mentality of, I need you to tell me Lorelai. And now I'm looking at her body language going, you are communicating kid. Like you did just poop. Like way to yes. go. Yes. So it's really cool. But I don't I also want to not discredit the people who maybe don't have children that are as severe as my child. And there's kids who are and I know you've worked with them. You aren't currently working with like 5 or 6-year-olds who have speech delays, but you know they're they're I have a, I have a 7-year-old on my caseload, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um but like you know there are moms in our community who have autistic children or developmental right. delays and their kids are needing speech too. And their kids do talk. Um, what, what do, what does that situation look like? Cause I have no idea. <laughs> Gosh, it's, it's so different all the time. Like this job is so amazing. I told, um, I have a student right now and I was telling her that you will never stop being challenged in this job. No child none of them are the same. None of there's things that you kind of do that are similar, but it's all different. And I'd be lying if I said, I don't still get kids that baffle me. And I'm like, I don't know. And I'm calling my OT friends. I'm calling other speech therapists. And I'm like, Hey, can I talk this out with you? Because this is kind of what I'm, what I'm thinking. Is this right? I mean, I love the team of people that I work with because I feel like we all work really, really well together. Um, I have a little girl right now. She has autism. She is just amazing. Um, and with her, she's got some language and we're working on, she's talking 
um, verbally and she has some language. So working kind of expanding that and making it a little more functional for her. So she's doing a great job labeling things. And we've been working on phrases like to request, but also to comment. And I love her. She's so sweet. She knows she's supposed to say one of them and she'll say, I want, I see, I want, I see. And I just like, I just like eat her up. I just give her the biggest <laughs> hug. Cause I just love it. I love her so much. And I'm like, come here, baby. You can have it. Cause she's, I mean, she knows, she knows she's like, I'm supposed to say something. Um, but it's sometimes it's expansion. It's just adding on to these single words. I try to find activities that are highly motivating. I think that's also something that you don't really learn in school. You just kind of have to figure that out. <laughs> Cause if we're not motivated, why do we want to communicate? If I'm not, if I don't really care about that, then what I'm good. If the, um, pressure to communicate something is super, super high and the motivation is super, super low. I mean, even as adults, we're like, it's not really worth it. I'd rather sit here and spin this ball right here. So I think finding the motivating things is really, really, really important, especially with the, with the really young kids. Cause they just, they need that. They need a reason they've got to, they got to want it. But I think it just working on categories. If we have vocabulary deficits, we may sometimes I'm like, all right, we're going to do a themed approach. It's springtime. So these are all really relevant words. Sometimes I just, I mean, I have to know the family. I mean, some things that are relevant with some people, it's kind of like what we talked about with Lorelai today, adding her spa page with her massage, <laughs> with her massaging her legs. Massage and, <laughs> and cuddle and face wash. Yeah, and, but yeah. that's relevant to her. Mm-hmm. Yes, I want to work on, you know, toys and requesting and playing, but that. that but I really is, want my legs massaged. Right? <laughs> but that's so relevant to something that she is mm-hmm. motivated by. That she, And she showed us that she understands that. So because she showed us that she understands that, she absolutely should have an icon on her page to be able to communicate. Um, Diane, this kid went from like not doing anything to Mm -hmm. leg massage and she's like putting her legs up like she's at a like in a nail salon, like getting a pedicure. She was not having it and as soon as she heard that, eyes open, looking around, I'm like, who are you? <laughs> Hold on. Let me let me bring in the pedicurist. Like, so, cute. So, cute. so can I shift gears? I have a question because this is what we struggle with at home. And I think that, you know, depending on, obviously, Sayla is completely nonverbal, but I'm sure even with verbal children, the just the pure frustration that comes with not feeling understood or maybe not being able to get words out, um, And I, we at home, I just said um, to somebody yesterday, Sayla, we're working on a device and it was go chair outside. And when she's up early, like we take her in the garage and she plays on different things. And I mean, it blew my mind. I was like, oh my goodness, because I will admit at home, we are not very consistent with working with her device. It's a lot of school is doing that. And so I find that we shush her a lot when she gets frustrated. Stop whining. Stop don't talk like that. You can talk nicely, right? And I forget that this child is so aware and knows exactly what she wants, how she wants it, when she wants it. How do you manage that balance of frustration with the child while also maintaining appropriate behavior, right? Like she's going to school. She's going to be around other kids. And I would love for her to know appropriate social cues. So can you like talk to that about that a little bit? I think it is really, really hard. So you're right. I want to validate that in you because it is really hard. We have this, I mean, being a, being a mom myself, I mean, I text Susan all the time and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I cannot with my kids today. Um, so I, there's some, an element of typical kid stuff here. Like she's just cranky, but then, okay, now let's add I can't communicate to you what I want right now. That is really, really frustrating, especially when you know, and it's just not happening. I think trying really hard to carry over that device use at home is really important. I know it's hard. It's, it is, it is hard adding something new to your day that is just extra, but the more it is carry over to home, hopefully she will start to know I need to go get this to tell you why I'm upset. I think acknowledging her being upset, taking a deep breath, both of you, <laughs> and counting to 10 if you have to. And I know that that doesn't always, that's not always going to work for her, but it will also, it'll help you out a little bit, even if it doesn't work for her in that moment. Giving her a hug, acknowledging, I see that you're frustrated, honey. I see. 
I don't know it without like having like a really specific like vision of what just happened in my head. I think I could give you some some more detailed response to that. Um, but that's but okay. I think I feel like broadly, you know, there's a lot yeah. of families that go through this, right? They're yeah. where their so kids I mean, are just have, so frustrated. Um, I think emotion words are extremely important for every single, my family laughs at me sometimes because I was such a, I see that you feel, <laughs> I was really, really about, I still am, I try to be anyways, um, about that. Having maybe, I don't know, where she is with her device use, but, you know, really encouraging those emotions. I see that you're frustrated. Frustrated is a big word, but it is a real word for a lot of kids, especially our young kiddos and kiddos who who can't verbalize. I mean, that is frustrating, acknowledging that. And, and I also feel like when you acknowledge that, it kind of brings you to that place that you want to be. Where I think what you, those natural mom reactions, we all have those. Everyone has those. You have, you're tired. It's been a long day. You just can't take it. You just can't anymore. And I feel like when you can, when you make yourself stop and acknowledge that emotion in your child, I think it can kind of help you both kind of recenter for a second. And at least she sees that you're, that you're trying mm-hmm. and then bring that device over. And then, you know, prompting her, mommy doesn't know. I'm sorry, baby. Can you show me? I really want to know what you're saying. Can you show me? The more consistent you guys are using that device at home, I think she'll probably start to surprise you with what she's able to communicate with that. And maybe even just put like a emotions card on your fridge or something with like, you know, a few of the main pictures. And when you're telling her, I see that you're frustrated right now. And it's a, again, it goes back to that modeling. She may, that may not mean anything to her yet. It may not be something she's going to run it. I mean, when we're mad, we're not be like, Oh, let me go find my card. I'm so angry, <laughs> right? Like nobody's going to do that. <laughs> we're mad. But the more we do those things, we learn to cope. And I was going to say, like some families, I have friends whose kids have been denied by insurance to not get Ogcom devices. So like, you know, and it's unfortunate, but to even just step back and use a emotions board and say, I see you're frustrated. Like mama sees, I don't understand right now, honey. Like let's, I don't know. Like you said, it's also easy to say this, but when you're in the moment and you just worked a 12 hour shift at the hair salon and you come home and you have to make dinner and you have to take your kid to soccer. And then you have your youngest child who is just literally pointing and shouting at things. All you want to do is hand her the iPhone. And I'm speaking not for so, me, but like, because I'm I'm speaking as if I'm, I just gave you Diane's life story. <laughs> with that being said, sometimes that's okay. Yeah. Like sometimes it's been a really long day. And you Mm -hmm. just can't. And that is okay. Like we can't be on 24-7. Nobody can. And I think that's so important to hear a therapist say because I feel like when we have our sessions with you and I've said to you and Kate and Kim before, like y'all have dealt with me having my mental breakdown in the middle of therapy going, I need you to give me one task because I have two children Both of them have three therapists and 157 things that they are supposed to do every week. And I can't do it. At the end of the day, I'm lucky (laughs) to like do one activity a day. And so I think it's important to have a therapist say like, you're doing good. Do what you can. Yeah. It's hard. I think like in, in that case too, like, I don't, I don't know her. Like I said, I don't know her well enough to be able to give this like specific. No, yeah. Um, but I'm just thinking like if we know that it's going to be a really long day and we know if, if there's certain things that she really likes to do that maybe she can do at those times, you know, of the day. Like, oh, look, it's, you know, yeah, it's it's movie time. We get to watch a movie. Communicate y'all's feelings, too. Like it's important for them mm-hmm. to hear. I'm frustrated. I am frustrated right now. I am tired. And I, mommy just needs a minute. It's mm-hmm. okay. They need yeah. to, I mean, feelings are real. We are not, I mean, we kind of are superheroes, but <laughs> we're not. We're, <laughs> we're real people. And sometimes we just have to, we have to take a minute. And, and I've heard you guys say this too. Like you got to give grace to yourself sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like you are, you're on, like you're doing amazing. And sometimes we get it all done. And some days you just need to say, okay, it's time for a movie because I'm not okay right now. Like that's okay. We have, we have to take care of ourselves too. 
I really loved, I think it, this mm-hmm. speaks to like a broad audience, um, how you said expressing your feelings and also acknowledging theirs and taking a second to count to 10 brings you back to having more empathy for what they're going through. Because I find myself when I stop, you know, usually I'm like scurrying around everywhere around the house, so much to do. She's like over in the other room and I hear her and I'm like, what do you want? What do you need? And then she screams louder and I'm not stopping to acknowledge and try and figure it out. Cause my other kids, I can just yell from wherever that does help a lot. So I feel like that was really good. And hopefully speaking to a broad audience, verbal and nonverbal kids of just give them the time to take a breath. And when we are having those good days, being on as much as we can, because mm-hmm. the modeling and the repetition and showing them how to use this device or how to use these pictures or signs or whatever we're doing right now when those more frustrating moments come, just like we have to learn coping skills, just like we have, you know, we as adults have learned that, like they, they have to learn coping skills and that happens day in and day out and what we're doing. So on the days that we're not about, well, I don't know, there's not a whole lot of days. I feel like sometimes we're not about to lose it, (laughs) but on the better days, (laughs) on the better of those days, trying really hard to do those carryover things. Mm -hmm. She's, how is she doing using her device at school? She just recently, she's really okay. exploded with it. She's done a really good job, but you have to sit with her, yeah. you know, and she's kind of babbles. Like some days she'll want to get into the settings and, you know, but she's doing much better sure. with it. Yeah. Just keep encouraging that. And even if you know what she wants, if it's on her device, be like, oh, let's go get our words or whatever phrase mm-hmm. you guys like to use. And yeah. let's get over there and make sure as much as you can, you are modeling what you're saying on her device so that mm-hmm. when maybe those more frustrating moments come, or maybe there'll be less frustrating moments because she's going to start to be able to use those words to tell you instead of screaming because she's frustrated. Mm-hmm. So Catherine, let's talk to the moms. When a mom is just overwhelmed and frustrated with like... Let's give the listeners the talk that you gave me when I was like, Catherine, I can't do this. It's too much. It's it's too many kids. It's two. I have two. It's too, too many kids. <laughs> There's too many of them. Diane <laughs> just spit her water everywhere. <laughs> There's too, too many kids. There's too, too, too many of them in my mean. house. <laughs> but what do you tell the mom? Like, do you want moms to be like, Catherine, I love you, but this isn't working. I need one job. Or do you want, how do you want moms to communicate or dads or caregivers? How do we communicate with our therapists to make the most out of situations for our children? I try really hard, really, really hard to make sure that the families that I work with feel that they can talk to me. I hope that I portray that. I try really, really hard to make sure that if something doesn't, and I try to do some check-ins from time to time, like, Hey, how do you feel like, are we doing what you want to do? What's going on? I would be really sad to know that any of my families wouldn't feel like they could just be honest and tell me that I try. It's important. It's very important to me for them to feel like they can come talk to me. I mean, I, we have a lot of real moments and sometimes we just stop and we take, we take that break. And I, if we need a break from therapy, that's okay. Sometimes we need a break from therapy if we need more, if we need less, if we need need to stop talking, because I do that too, <laughs> then that's okay. Sometimes we just have to do that. If we need to take a week or two off, let's do that. I absolutely want my families to come to me and say, hey, Kat, like this suggestion you gave isn't working. Okay, let's talk about it. Why isn't it working? Does it just, it just doesn't work for your family or the logistics of it? Like, t- let's talk about it. I think a lot of times fam- like parents don't feel comfortable saying, hey, the thing you said that I should do with my kid, it doesn't work. Um, so I think it's cool to hear you say, let's have open communication about this. Like you're only in a session with a kid maybe once or twice a week. So the parents are with them the other bajillion hours during the week <laughs> and we need to communicate. Absolutely. When I have conversations with other therapists about things like when we're talking about stuff like this, or the student that I have now, honestly, I feel like that is the biggest thing that I have to offer talking to other therapists about is how important it is to connect with our families, be real, have real conversations. I mean, 
the way I open it up, I, I think I said this earlier, but the way that I open it up is, hey, I'm in your house or I'm here. I'm working with your baby, your child, but you know, your little love, like I'm here to help you. I am not here. I do not want to make your life more difficult. I do. I want to be a support system. And sometimes that means that we take a little while and we just have a conversation and that's still part of it all. Mm-hmm. I know y'all don't like these little pauses in the conversation, but we need to take a quick break. Have you joined the When Autumn Comes Society yet on Facebook? We are a group of moms, dads, caregivers, nurses, aunts, uncles. Um, who else is in there? Like, you name it. Anybody's in there. You don't have to be a mom to a disabled child to be in our group. The When Autumn Comes Society is a place where we talk about random things. We share anything that gives us hope. Like, do hummingbirds bring you hope? Let's talk about it. How about... Netflix releasing a new episode of your favorite show give you hope we can talk about that too we also talk about episodes like this one and we also talk about our kids because let's be real they kind of took over our lives so join us on Facebook it is called the when autumn comes society if you search it it is a private group answer a couple questions we will add you easy as that okay now back to the episode so let's shift just a little bit. One of the things that a lot of medical special needs, mom of disabled children hate is evaluations. We hate them. We do. Me too. (laughs) They are hard. It is hard to have, whether it's for an IEP or for early intervention Um, Like it doesn't matter if your kid is six months old or six years old. It sucks to have somebody be like, well, developmentally, it just sucks. I had somebody say to me, it was for um, one of the programs. I don't know which one, but she was like, unfortunately, I have to ask you these questions. I was like, okay. And like, we got to a point. She's like, can your kid walk across the room? No. (laughs) Can your kid walk across the room and carry a book? No. Can your kid walk across the room, carry a book, and talk to you? No. <laughs> like, I looked at her and I said, my kid is really good at laying. <laughs> like, she did not get my sense of humor at all. I was like, but she's really good at laying on her back. Like, we're good at laying. It sucks. So how is it from your perspective when you've done evaluations, whether it's for EI or you said you used to work with older kids in the school and working on evaluations for an IEP. Like, what's it like from your side of the table? I think that I'm constantly thinking of how to say things so that it doesn't, so that it's not hurtful. But I know that it, I know that what I'm going to say is hard. I mean, I do not have, both of my kiddos are typically developing and I know that. So even when I talk to you, Susan, sometimes, which I feel like you, I feel like you do a really, you're just, you, you're really easy to talk to. And you've taught me, you guys have taught me a lot on how that it's okay to talk about my kids and it's okay. Okay. My, my point of this is when I'm going to cry, there, <laughs> it's not a when autumn comes if somebody doesn't cry. <laughs> when I'm sitting there having these conversations with parents, I want, I want to be, I want to relate. And I think I go back to while they were preemies and they're doing okay now. I think I, I try to pull from my own personal experiences, but I think it's really important for me to point out what your child is doing. I do not like reporting developmental scores. I, I don't like doing it because I don't think that y'all, unless a parent wants it, then, you know, fine, you, you want to know. But I would rather report what is your child doing? What do we see? And then discuss like what is important to you to see next. I think we kind of depending on the situ- you know, situation, we do kind of have to talk about typical development and what, what we kind of, what we typically see a child doing at this age, but going back to what is your, what, this is what we see your child doing. And we see that we think, you know, speech or physical therapy would be the best help for you right now. Is that something that you guys want? I try to be careful about what I say. I think just trying to be real and not sound like I'm just this person walking into your house or at this table that just has no connection to your family. I love everybody that I work with. And I, and I know that sounds may sound fake or something, but it's not like I genuinely love the people that I work with. And it's so important to me 
for even if it's just the initial evaluation that I just met someone for these parents to feel like they're not alone in that room. I don't want, I don't ever want them to feel, and I know they probably do, but I try really hard to make it feel like a conversation with your friend and let's talk about this and like, that's okay. That's where they are. So what are, what do we want to do? What kind of help do you want? And where do you want to see them go? And let's see how we can get there. Well, and I was just going to say, I will never forget the first few evals. We, the first few years of evals, they were devastating because you're not only realizing that, wait, I mean, we just had this conversation in special needs versus disabled. I was absolutely nowhere near ready to call my child disabled. I was like, no, we are not that. We are not there. What are you talking about? And then to hear all these things flood in, like your child is not doing X and Y and Z and you're swallowing all these things knowing, yeah, my my child can't sit up at six months. My child can't sit up at nine months, whatever that might be. But to all the mothers or caregivers or dads listening, and I'm just speaking for myself, not for everybody, it has gotten easier because I've shifted my you you take that information in, you become comfortable knowing, yes, this is where my child's at, but then you also have a plan. So it not it's not always easy to swallow, but after you swallow that, the plan comes on where where do I think she can be? And you know, one of our goals this year in school was for her to walk unassisted or assisted, but not in a gate trainer. And I was like, yeah, what? No, you know, but it was kind of exciting. And then the fact that there are those goals, she may meet them. I mean, it kind of gets me going a little bit. So hopefully it gets easier as the years go on and you have to hear these evals. But do you think Diane, does it get easier because you're seeing progress or do you think it gets easier because we're more jaded? Like, I, I mean, think let's it gets be real. Easier because I have found, um, I don't want to say contentment, like uh, it's not complacency, but contentment, contentment with who she is. So kind of to your point of, we're not going to focus on verbally speaking, but communicating, mm-hmm. you know, like you just settle into what is. I think it's part of the grieving process too, mm-hmm. because in the beginning you just landed in Holland and you're trying to find a guidebook. Where at, where you're at now, you're like, okay, we're in Holland. Like, yeah, it is what it is. Let's figure this out. I feel like, again, speaking for myself, so many situations are different, but there's not so much coming at you at one time. You now know the process mm-hmm. a little better. Mm-hmm. You know what's going to sting, and you kind of can guard yourself from that. But then you also know what's on the other side. Where when you're going through this the first couple times, you have therapists and That's case managers point. and a billion people coming at you. And you're like, I have no idea what's going on. I don't know and who these people are. And you're pumping and you're breastfeeding yeah. and you're like doing, a, I mean, in some yep. situations, like, you know, yeah. like you have life going on and yep. you're trying to figure out what to do when they give you a diagnosis or a developmental delay. And you're yes. like, what, what do I do now? Yeah. So, so as it's hard, like I think as you get further on, you know, whether it's in the IEP meeting or in private therapies, like you get these evals, you can kind of sift through the emotions a little bit easier without so much weight to it because you've gone through the grief of what is like, this is my child. You've seen the other joy that comes or the wins that you do see. So there's a little bit of hope where you're like, we can get to different places where in the beginning, you're so overwhelmed, not knowing, oh my gosh, what does this look like? Will they, can they? I try to... I feel like I say this every time in an eval, I'm like, you know, these are the scores. This is a small piece to the puzzle. This is, this is, this is not, this helps us understand, you know, yes, comparing to other children, their age, this is kind of where we are, but it is a small piece to the puzzle. I love like hearing some of the things that you're saying, because I just want to like love these kids and I want everyone to just love these kids. I want them to, they are who they are and they're beautiful no matter where no matter what is going on, like, not that there's a difficult days and some of this stuff is, you know, just I, I don't imagine what some of these days are like with you guys and the in, in your kiddos. But I don't know, like, I don't know if it's early intervention and going into people's houses and being around just so many different people. But I just want to love these kids. And I want, I want to help everyone that I know, my children to just like, Hey, cool. They have a device. That's awesome. Let's go talk to them. Or, Hey, yeah, that, you know, I've had my children say, you know, something about a wheelchair and I'm like, Oh yeah, that is a cool ride. You know, we can, you know, ask them about it or maybe they can show you how it works. 
I feel like it is like my life. I don't know. Maybe that's my, that's what God has put in my heart to just, I just want to love people. And I just want people like, we're going to help you. We're going to get you to your best. We're going to give you the, the supports that you need to help you communicate to where you want to go. But like, they're just beautiful. And they are what they are. And, and it's wonderful. And God gave us these kiddos for a reason. And they are who they're meant to be. I mean. Even if they want leg massages. Even if they want leg massages. Can I go back to you? I, this is a question I was going to ask. You speaking to your kids about another child with a disability or, I mean, whatever the situation is. Sayla's about to go to kindergarten. I want her peers to know her. Because she is amazing, right? So here I am. I'm like, this girl's amazing. And I know how you're going to know her by spending time with her. How do I communicate or how would you communicate to a typically developing child these kids' value? Or, you know, yeah, Salem might shriek during story time. And yes, that's not socially appropriate. And you're five and six. And that would be very odd, you know, to hear. How do you enable or you know, build relationship and connection with these young kids that have a lot of questions and then cannot communicate. I don't always know that I'm saying the right thing. If I'm honest, I don't have like a go-to thing that I say. I just know that I want to say it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. We've talked a lot about children who are people who are just different. And if they point things out, so maybe it's a kiddo that maybe needs to move his body a lot and he's moving back and forth. And I'll, I might say something like, well, that makes him feel good. And that kind of helped. Maybe, maybe he's upset. Maybe that helps him calm down. That's what he likes to do. Okay. And they're just, they just take that kind of thing. Um, I talk, I just try to talk a lot about differences and how that's okay. And we're all different. Some people have brown hair. Some people have blonde hair. Some people talk with the device Some people use their mouth. Sometimes, you know, somebody's, body just doesn't work like your body does. And we love them and they're that's really cool that they have that. How wonderful it is that we have a communication device that we get to we get to talk to Miss Lorelai with. That is so cool. I try to just normalize it, I think. I try to just talk about how normal it is. I try to buy books. I try mm-hmm. to um compliment people in front of my children who look different than us. You are so good at this. Like you are a you are a stellar mom, oh, and okay. I'm saying that as somebody who your kids, specifically your son, because he talks more to me and my daughter. But your Waylon doesn't act like Lorelai is any different. Yeah. I have struggled because I don't feel like Lorelai has friends. Because how could she? other than her therapists and her doctors. And your kid treats my kid like a friend. And if you and I are on the phone, I hear him in the background saying, I want to talk to Lorelai. Like, that's like a kid thing. And he, it's normal to him. And they ask about they ask about your kids all the time. <laughs> it, it's because you're doing a good job of talking about these differences and making it like, that's just how Lorelai is. I guess when I think about what impact I want to, now I'm going to (laughs) cry. I just, my legacy is hopefully children who love people and teach other people to love people. And they see God through my kids and there's enough judgment in the world. And I just want to leave behind two beautiful children who absolutely have their naughty days but that have beautiful hearts that just want to love people and teach other people that, you know, I mean, I, I will literally give my kids scenarios. I feel like I'm so crazy. We'll be in the car. We'll be in the car. And I'm like, so what do you do if you see a friend telling another friend that they don't want to play with them because they don't like their shirt or something. And I we will literally walk through and Waylon will say, well, I would go over there and say, come play with me. And Emerson is sweet, too. She's just really shy and quiet, so she Mm -hmm. just doesn't speak up as much. But she's taking it all in. I just, I go through that a lot in hopes that one day, if those moments happen, that we've talked about it enough, that they know what to do. Do you find that some, I mean, I feel like this question could be just answered. I mean, we all know the answer, but 
like you find some typically developing kids are just more attracted to kids that are different. Like there are some that I find that are like, oh, and then they look very curious, but they stand back. They don't really know how to communicate because obviously, and I don't know, Susan, if you've noticed this or if you have, but the boys are attracted to Sayla so much more and, and integrate with her a lot more than the girls. And I don't know if it's her equipment. I don't know if the girls mm. need that verbal feedback. She's like a transformer. That, yeah. Or like that social emotional <laughs> connection that Sayla just isn't capable of giving right now. How would you generate that? Like like going to school, how do I say to her peers or get, get her peers together and be like, I want you to want to be with her. And maybe that's just completely crazy. And I I can't do that. But it's not. I think we have to facilitate that a little bit. These little like younger kids, unless they've been taught ugly things, they're curious. Mm-hmm. And like they'll just make statements. What's that? What's that computer she has? Mm-hmm. It's not it's not an ugly statement, it's just a statement. Mm-hmm. And I, I just if we could normalize and have these conversations with, with a parent, it's kind of goes back to don't shh, shh, shh your child. Let's, let's talk about it. Yeah. We can say hi to that little girl. We can go say hi, but normalizing and facilitating these interactions to say, we can go play with her. Let's go ask her if maybe she wants to, wants to show you how she talks, mm-hmm. you know? And if she doesn't, then we say, she just doesn't feel like it right now. Maybe we'll try tomorrow. I think I it's just, we have to talk that. to them. Yeah. We have to show them. They don't know. I mean, I think most people, well, I don't know most people, but like people are just, they don't know. They, they're scared of what they don't know and they don't understand. Mm-hmm. And if you've never been around children or people that look different or have different ways of doing things or make noises that you're not used to, used to hearing, you, people are, are kind of fearful of that and they don't know what to do. So then mm-hmm. they, you know, maybe somebody is inappropriate and says something they shouldn't say, or maybe they just choose to turn the other direction. But if we could just have these conversations and normalize to, to everyone, like talk yeah. to your children about this, like, yeah, we can go say hi. That's cool. I, I think that is how that happens. And I don't know if, if there's a way, you know, to, to take the teacher aside or something and, and have that side conversation. And does she need support in that? Does she know, you know, if the other kid, where is her mindset on something like that? Does she know to say, you know, if there's two kids playing near her to sit down with them and just start talking to her to show them, this is how we talk to her. We don't necessarily have to say, you need to go talk to her. You need to know, like show them, go sit. Let's mm-hmm. let me, let me just bring out the modeling again, <laughs> go sit down and like maybe a conversation with her teacher and like a sidebar on how, you know, y'all can work together and, and supporting her and making friends and helping the rest of the class. Cause kids are, and kids are amazing. They know, like I've had, you know, a, a child in preschool and the, the teacher was a little worried about this device that the other kids, this, the other kids that I'm like, the other kids will be fine. And they will learn that this belongs to her. And this is how she talks. Yes, there may be a week of, nope, that's not yours. That doesn't belong to you. Those are her words. That's not her. Just like that's your lunchbox. That belongs to her. Don't touch it. Maybe a week of just working through that with kids. Then she'll be fine. And they know those are her words. And that's how she talks. I mean, kids are a lot more accepting and loving if they're just shown what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of times parents don't know what to do or teachers don't. I mean, like I can tell you thousands of stories when I've had the kids say, what's that tube mommy? And the mommy says, we don't talk about that. And I'm like, no, it's just another belly button. It's good. Like that's how she eats. Yeah. And the mom's like scurrying away, you know? So I think, I think it's just, it is what it is. And I think one thing that I have other than counting to 10 that I've learned from you is that like you say this to me often because I'm in such a medical mindset. And I think this conveys to beyond my situation, but you always tell me like kids have to learn how to play and kids have like, they don't just innately know how to play. And they don't just innately know how to communicate with special needs kids. They don't just innately know things like that. So when we can teach them, here's how you play. Here's how you talk to other people. Here's how, you know, like it's just as important to teach our typical kids how to talk to people, all types of people. So I think, I mean, this was not the point of this episode, Mm -hmm. but I think it was a really great conversation. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that is very important. And 
I appreciate you sharing. Thank now, you. Now, everybody's going to want a Waylon in their classroom. <laughs> wow. Hopefully, hopefully we'll have some impact on some other people and that'll, that'll become more. I think it's becoming more. I think it's becoming more of a thing. I feel it, like people, it really is. I mean, we've had such good experiences with peers and parents. It's just. And I think is not that this should have to be on the mamas and daddies and caregivers of the kiddos who have these other things. But like hearing you guys do this podcast and hearing how you're talking to other people and for a parent to hear, hey, what do you want to know? Like, I want to talk about this. I just think some people just don't know. They don't know what they don't know. Exactly. I always say, like, you know, tell my kids, you have to teach people how to treat you. And my child won't be able to do that for herself. And yes, we could scream, you know, injustice, or we could scream that there's just, you know, kind of this ignorance. But at the same time, like, I want to teach people how to treat my child because I want, I want that for both of them. You know, her peers gain so much from her and she gains so much from her peers. And it's just a really beautiful thing. I think we've heard from a lot of guests that they see there's a lot of work to be done, but there is so much work that has been done. And it's really, really cool to see the evolution of acceptance. I agree. So Catherine, we wrap up the episodes. You know the question. I do. What gives you hope? I feel like I was having a hard time narrowing narrowing it down. My faith absolutely gives me hope. My children give me hope. And I think just seeing people help each other and taking a minute to reach out to one another, whether it's opening a, a door or bringing someone food that needs it. Just making those human connections and loving each other gives me hope. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was so refreshing. It was, first of all, her energy was wonderful. And she just like spewed love for these kids, which makes me so happy as a mom. Just reiterates like how much professionals and people that choose to be in those professions just love our kids. I, I like, we had other therapists prior to her for speech and they were all kind people, but Catherine is a gem. And I'm like, I mean, Lorelai advanced so much when we got Catherine. And I think it's because of her passion. I mean, she never put Lorelai in a box. And she was the one who started pushing to say, like, start using yes and no, start using, like, pictures. Mm And I'm not saying that the other person didn't, but the other person we had had prior didn't. And I think it's amazing when you have support people who push your kids and they don't well, see a diagnosis. Yeah. And they don't look at the diagnosis and go, mm, most of these kids don't talk. So we're just going to work on turning pages in a book. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very grateful to have her. And I have to say just how she spoke to her children about our children or mm. other children she works with. That was so heartwarming. I hope the world hears this and I hope that people that just don't know what they don't know learn a little bit about that because I feel like that's my goal is to just help people understand how to understand our kids or teach them to understand our children. So thank you, Catherine. This is Susan and I'm going to go organize my office because it is like overflowing and I'm sitting here looking at all the clutter and I'm like, "Mm, maybe I am a hoarder. (laughs) Get on that. I can't handle. (laughs) This is Diane and I have to go do laundry. Bye. We'll see you guys later. We know you have so many choices on how to spend your time. Thank you so much for choosing to spend it with us. We would be honored to hear your unique, complicated, and hope-filled stories. We would love for you to connect with us and share your story on our website, www.whenautumncomes.com, and you can find us on social media at When Autumn Comes Podcast. Also, check us out at 4AM Mom Club, where we will be sharing our middle-of-the-night shenanigans, Etsy finds, Netflix faves, and other things to get us through.
We would love for you to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll continue to hear unique stories, feel a whole lot of comfort and connection, and hopefully share in a few laughs. We are new to the podcasting world, so this show is produced by yours truly. With hope and a whole lot of excitement, Diane and Susan. See you next time.